Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thank you, Henny and Rochelle and Izan and your whole team. It really is a joy to be back in Pretoria. Uh, Pretoria. I was back in Pretoria this morning. This morning was one of those mornings, you know how it goes sometimes, driving from Pretoria to Johannesburg, and I'm going to be here pretty much the whole day. And I was sort of halfway, a little bit over halfway, and I realized, oops. And then I was back in Pretoria, but now I'm back in Johannesburg again. I had to go back to pick someone, something up. But just back in Johannesburg, I always just drive in here with fond memories. I grew up in Johannesburg, and back when Johannesburg looked very different to how it looks now. Um, and was at school here, primary schools, high schools, and... So many, obviously, my formative moments happened in this city, and it's great being back here. It's great being back with you, and just want to honor Henny and Rochelle. He mentioned that I serve on our apostolic team, and every time on our apostolic team, when their names come up, when we speak about Johannesburg, it's always with fondness, and it's always with a, a warmth in our heart for an appreciation for what God is doing here through their hands and through the rest of the team, and we just really want to honor you. And for all of you sitting, I see upgraded chairs. This is pretty cool. For those of you sitting at the back, you're missing out. Huh? I see you guys have got some proper chairs in the, the front half here. And just really is great to be here with you. I, I saw kind of as, I, as Henny was introducing me, his eyes were glancing on my notes. So he's got a, a bit of a, a sneak peek. But you guys are, are sort of in the middle of of this really cool series about Christians in the city. Being in the city, and I mean kind of in, maybe perhaps before we get that, I think maybe somewhere I've got a picture of my family. I don't know if it's before the slide or after the slide. Um, there we go. And I am the privileged father of, of three daughters and a beautiful wife. And we're sort of beginning to move out of that phase so not quite every night, but still a couple of nights in, in my life. Most weeks I go to bed next to one lady. I wake up in a different bed next to another lady. And not always. Sometimes I sort of have to check, especially if, I, in bed in, if I'm in my bed, I have to wake up in the morning and kind of just check who is this person that is next to me in the bed this morning. Um, and it just really is a, a joy to be able to see them grow up to be able to see God even moving in their hearts and in their lives. They would have loved to be here this morning and would have been here. And then we had some, um, I was saying to Henny, you've got a couple of balls we need to juggle today um, in, in our family. People we've been walking a road with in our church for a couple of years. Well, so two of those families where the, the wives come faithfully regularly and the husbands don't come close to church, they decided that they want to dedicate their kids to the Lord this morning. And so, obviously, it's a special moment for us as a church for our relationship with that family. So, my, par my parents, my wife, and the kids have, have stayed behind to celebrate with them. But they would have loved to be here with you today, to be able to celebrate, to see what God's doing in your lives. And even just looking around, I'm so encouraged by seeing so many mu new people, people who I've never seen before, and just a joy to be able to minister to you a little bit this morning as we're thinking about this idea of being a Christian in a city. 
as we were, as I was driving here and praying for the city, I was sort of reminded that this isn't just any city. In a South African and perhaps an African context, this is this city. This is the place, the city of cities, if you want to call it that. Kind of if you have to make a list of cities in Africa, Johannesburg, perhaps not quite on, on population that might go to Lagos and one or two other cities, but in terms of influential cities in this continent, this is right up at the top. This is this city. And as Christians, are we being the salt in this city? Are we Christians within this city changing the dynamic and the fabric of this city? Before I get, sort of get into the, the spiritual part, if you want to call it that, and sort of into the text that I have on our heart for this morning, perhaps take a few moments to think about what is a city? Henny spoke a couple of weeks about, about, ago about the the size of the city and how cities are growing and how urbanization is a global phenomenon and how I think he said five or six million people are being added to cities. Was it every month or every year? Every month, five or six million people across the globe are being added to cities. More people are living in cities now than outside of cities for the first time in human history. And now we're in this place where we're in this city. But when we say this city, what is it that we are saying? What is it that we are meaning? Because I'm sure we can use the word city in a couple of different ways, in a couple of different contexts. One of them is we can talk about the geography. We can talk about the sort of the land mass that's represented by the city. We can talk about the space that the city captures. But I think normally when we talk about the city, when we say Johannesburg is... We're typically not referring to the geography. We're not referring to the topography. We're not speaking about necessarily the weather or the plants. Maybe you hear this often from people who come and visit from the Cape. Johannesburg is flat. <laughs> you know, we're not typically speaking about that. Normally when we're talking about the city, when we're referencing Johannesburg, when we're speaking about the... Because a, a city almost takes on the nature of a, of, of a personhood. It's like the city's got this feeling, the city's got this flow. We drill down into that. When we're talking about the city, we're talking about the people. This morning, if we're talking about the city, when I'm talking about Johannesburg, I'm talking about you and the person sitting next to you. Because obviously cities are sort of broken down into suburbs and suburbs into neighborhoods and neighborhoods into streets. And what makes a city a city are the people. Not just the volume of the people, the magnitude, the number of people that are there, not just the demographics of the people, but the hearts of the people. When we're saying we are praying for Pretoria, in my case, we're praying for Johannesburg, in your case, what does that mean we're praying for? It means we're praying for the people. When we're trusting God for the city, we're talking about the people. When we talk about the nature of Johannesburg, it's because the people within that city have that nature. Maybe bring that a little bit closer to home as well. It's the same when we talk about church. When we say the church, show for Johannesburg, we're not talking about some organization. Yes, there's a structure. Yes, the city has a mayor. Yes, and the city has an executive council. And the city has all of those things. But when we're talking about the city, we're not talking about the government of the city. 
In the same way, when we're talking about the church, when we're praying for the church, we're not only talking about Henny and Rochelle and their team. We're talking about us here today. When we're praying for church, we're praying for us. We're praying for myself and the people in my small group with me, the person sitting next to me this morning and behind me. In the same way, when we drive out here and we're praying for the city, we're praying for the people who live across the road from me, the children who go to school with my kids, the parents who we sit next to at the sports fields, my colleagues at work, the cars I drive past, not the cars, but the people inside the cars that we drive past every day. I don't know what Johannesburg is like, but Pretoria has got some crazy load-shedding traffic. Traffic is sort of okay most of the time, except load-shedding. Then traffic just goes completely ridiculous, and you just know we're going to be here for a while. And if you're looking in the other people around you in their cars, when we're talking about the city, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the people, the individuals who make up and who comprise the city. So if we say Johannesburg is vibrant, it's because the people in Johannesburg is, are vibrant. If we say Johannesburg is dynamic, it's because the people in Johannesburg make it dynamic. When we say the businesses are, it's because the leaders of those businesses are entrepreneurial and driven and focused. We say Johannesburg is fun, it's because the people who live here are fun. So I want us for a moment this morning to think about the idea that not only, and Henry's spoken about the fact I love his message on growing or prospering in the city, flourishing in the city. If you happen to miss that, get onto the podcast, catch up on that message. It really will encourage you. How do we live in the city, grow in the city, influence our cities? But as we are chosen, I want us to think of this morning about this word of being chosen not only in the city, I think the slide might say I, my skills let me down. I wasn't able to change the font at the bottom. You can call it chosen in the city. If you want it, maybe chosen for the city. And he touched on this in one of his messages when he spoke about we're being sent to the city. You are not here by accident. You are not in Johannesburg by accident. You're not in the job that you are in by accident. You're not in the school that you're in by accident. Your children don't attend the school that they attend by accident. You don't drive the roads you drive every morning by accident. You don't cycle where you cycle by accident. You don't run where you run by accident. You don't sit on the couch on which you sit by accident. That there is a divine providence at play behind that and within that. We have... Some core values, I'm not sure if you guys have the banner here, but we updated them a couple of years ago. We spoke about the fact that our first core value as a church is that we're passionate for Jesus. We are passionate for His name. We are love people. We want to serve people. We want to give our lives for people out of our reverence and our love for Christ. And we have a power that comes from belief. We hold on to the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit infuses within us faith. Based on the word, we believe we are believers as followers of Christ. We have a purpose to pursue that Christ calls us to. I love it. Haney mentioned in one of his messages as well, God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. God has a plan and a mission for the city, for this neighborhood, and he has brought together a church, a collection, a gathering of people to accomplish his purposes. 
And those four we've had for many, many years as we've spoken through church. A couple of years ago, we added two to those. One of them is that God has called us to steward provision. We have provision that we must steward and steward well. And then the last core value, not, in, not the least, but just, we just, it just happens to be last in the list. And perhaps for this morning is important, places to embrace. That there where God has called you, we can, as Haney's love is saying that he uses, we can live there as if God has sent us there. Because God has sent you there. And we can live, as guys have been working through this passage of Jeremiah, as they're called in exile, they've pulled, they've been, not quite use the word called in exile, but in exile they have been called to make a difference in the city where they're at. And you can be living in bondage, in exile, as the people of Israel were, with a hard heart, with a distant heart. Or you can say, I am here, and I'm going to live here as if God wants me to be here. I'm going to embrace, embrace the place where I am. We begin to tap into something of God's purpose when we embrace the place where He would have us be. And so back to this idea of being chosen. Being chosen not only in the city, but I want you this morning to think about the fact that you are chosen for the city. Not just the people around you, not just the people next to you, not just sort of your small group leader. They've been chosen for this city. Henny, Henny has been chosen for this city. No, I have been chosen for this city. There's this beautiful story in Scripture this account, many of us know it, of Joseph, Jacob. And Jacob was uh, not the most, the guy of highest integrity, probably, as he started off his life. He came out sort of as a twin, pulling his brother Esau down, wanting to kind of get out before his brother, is the prophetic picture there. And then he goes and works for a man called Laban. And he works for Laban at the end 14 years. Um, he works for seven years, and then he marries the wrong daughter, and every time I read that story, I, there's only one, mind, one thought that pops into my mind. I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me if I'm completely wrong. Harry, Henny will correct my theology a little bit later. But how drunk do you have to be <laughs> to marry the wrong woman and only realize tomorrow morning I've married the wrong woman? I, I can find no other explanation for that moment. I could be horribly wrong, I don't know. But the next morning he wakes up and he's married the wrong woman. And he goes to Laban. He's like, Laban, what has happened here, guy? And Laban is, no, it's just the way these things work around here. The oldest has to get married first. And he's like, but I want to marry the other one. He's like, okay, wait. I'll tell you what. We're going to do like a, a double whammy here. So seven days, let's finish this wedding. Then we have another wedding. And then he worked with me for another seven years. And so after 14 years, he wants to leave. And Jacob and Laban comes to Jacob, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but Jacob says to Laban, Laban says to Jacob, Jacob, you have been God's gift to me. My life is enriched physically and otherwise. I am richer because you have been in my life. If it was not for you, I would not be in my life where I am. You have been God's gift to me. And that's a phrase which we often misuse. I remember in school, just down the road here, every now and again, the teachers would look at someone and sort of, in a derogatory way, say they think they're God's gift to mankind. 
And yet, when we embrace humility in Christ, you are God's gift to mankind. You are God's gift to this city. God has chosen you in the city, in your company, in your environment to be a difference. May it be that when our time comes to move on, maybe our children graduate from school and we move on from sort of that parents group into a different parents group, or we move on from the company where we work, that the people in the company say, we are heart sore about you leaving because this place was better because you were here. God's favor has been upon your life, and because God's favor is upon your life, because God smiles on you, He has smiled upon us. That is exactly what Laban said to Jacob. May we live from a place of humility, but with an understanding we are not better than anyone else. But God has chosen us to be His gift to this city. Maybe just one more thought before we, we get into the text that I have for us this morning. I'm hoping not to be very long, so I kind of didn't do too much intro about the whole bunch of the other churches that we, in this region that we get to be a part of. Thank you that you guys are praying for our churches and our church plants. We've just appointed a new pastor in Polakwane, a young guy, passionate for Jesus. His name is Dylan. His wife's name is Marlia. If you want to continue praying for them, if you want to go and visit them, support them, Maybe move to Polokwane to go and support them, to be God's gift there. But God is doing something beautiful. We have a great pastor's couple in Tsenin, and that church is really flourishing. And it just it can only flourish there because everything flourishes in Tsenin. Avos flourish, lychees flourish. It's just one of those areas in our country where you kind of... But spiritually, it's just going so well with the congregation. Porch of Sturm congregation, they're doing phenomenally well as well. And God is breathing on just their whole gathering there as God is opening more and more doors on that campus and in the city. And for the first time, they're really making good headway into the families. And the crazy thing is Porch of Sturm is Porch of Sturm, for those who are not familiar with it. It's not Porch of Sturm, it's Porch of Sturm. If you've been to Porch of Sturm, you've yet this Porch of Sturm. It is the last remaining Afrikaans university in the country. And they have just recently started, over December, they started doing a morning service just to consolidate all of their services. Um, show for Porch of Sturm, up to then, they were doing one morning service and two, uh, one Afrikaans, let me try that again, one English service and two Afrikaans services every day. And then in December, they said, we want to accommodate everyone sort of as we scale down over the holiday period. And they just did the English morning service. So many people joined who were not Afrikaans speaking that now they're only doing English services in the morning. They still have an Afrikaans service in the evening. And more and more people are coming. And all of the people who they thought might leave if we do this thing in English, they're all saying, we're staying here because God is here. And it's just so great to see how God is turning people's hearts for the nation. So thank you for your continued prayer for that. But this morning, what I, I really want to do, as much as I do want to share Scripture with us, is I want to pray with us. A little bit later this morning, I believe God is going to stir some things in some of our hearts. And we want to pray with you because God has called and chosen you for the city. There's a man by the name of Paul. He used to be known as Saul. Any a lunchtime discussion that oh, when did Saul not only become Paul, but when did that individual become an apostle? 
at which moment did he kind of step into, I've just been wandering around this theologically, the weird things that us theologians sometimes wonder about. When did this guy get knocked off his horse, or I don't know if he was riding on a horse or on a donkey, if he was walking, but he got struck down to the ground. And at some stage during his life, he ascends to the position of apostle. But anyway, he uses this really interesting phrase, which if you're like me, I used to use it often, but I had no clue what it meant. Am I the only person who does that? And then I like realize at some stage, I actually have no idea what I'm saying. Let me find a dictionary. So he's in front of King Agrippa, and he's telling his testimony. He's sharing how he came to the faith. And he says how he was on the way to Damascus with a letter from the priest, and he was going to imprison all of the Christians that he found in Damascus. And then he had this moment where God appeared to him, and God said these words to him. He said, and kind of, I've got a bit of a visual mind sometimes, kind of, I like, I see weird pictures sometimes when I read Scripture. But I imagine Paul lying on the ground there, blinded, and he says, who are you, Lord? Just this, the whole conversation just fascinates me. He has no idea who he's speaking to, but he knows it's Lord. He knows whoever's speaking now is the boss. <laughs> this which is happening is not meant to happening. I love, I honor, I'm going to listen to whatever you say. I don't know who you are. I'm about to find out who are you, Lord. He acknowledges right from the start that there's lordship going on here. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. And so Paul's lying on the ground there, and I can just hear him say, maybe even out loud, oops. <laughs> this is not a good space to be in. Anyway, it becomes a good space, because there's an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. Who's ever heard that saying? Who's ever used that saying? Let's be honest. Who knows what it means? A couple of us. I had no idea what it meant. I used to use it all the time because Scripture uses it until I went and figured out what it means. And so a, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going rhino boxing, which doesn't mean I walked up to a rhino and I punched it, but we had to take a big rhino and put the rhino in a box because that's how they transport these rhinos. And so we were on this game farm and kind of, I was in the, the vehicle on the ground and the helicopter flies over and the vet is there in the helicopter and he's got his dose just right and they find the right rhino and they dart the rhino. And the vet needs to focus there because firstly the rhino mustn't stay awake because then everyone around has got problems. But the equally bad problem is if the rhino falls asleep. Because you don't move a rhino lying on the ground. A rhino lying on the ground is a big problem. You, you don't get a rhino from the ground into the box. It doesn't happen. So he needs to be darted in a way that he's there, but he's not there. You know, he needs a moment of, I don't know, like Jacob, the night of his wedding. He needs a little bit like that. You need a rhino whose lights are on, but there's nobody at home. Okay? And so the... The vet comes and, and he darts the rhino, and then you give the rhino a little bit of time, and he sort of goes and sits a little bit and tries to stand up, so you know, okay, now's a good time. And then the first bravest guy runs with a blindfold, and you get a blindfold on the rhino. And then kind of the rest of you can come a little bit closer, and then the truck drives with this big box and a ramp up to the box, and you've got a rhino at the bottom 
and a truck sort of parked as close as Bushveld allows with this big box on the back. And now you've got a problem. Now you've got to get the rhino in the box. How do you coax a half-drunk rhino to go into the box? You goad him. You know what a goad is? A goad in modern language is a cattle prong. And so what we do is two or three of us, they stand there and they give you a cattle prong, which in, probably in Paul's time it wouldn't have been, but in today's time it's an electronic device that shocks with a little bit of a sharp edge. Now, it's a rhino. It's got a fat skin. It's, you're not doing any damage to it. It's just enough of a nudge to get it walking. But then one guy on the left, one guy on the right, one guy behind, and as this rhino starts walking, whichever way he needs to go, you're nudging him with this cattle prong that's like just a nice big shock. Just, hey, don't go this way. Okay, more this way, more this way, up, okay, whatever, boom, great. Rhino in a box. God comes to Paul, and he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. We can sometimes in our lives, we're heading in this direction and we keep bumping our heads. And every time as we're going, Paul, every time he's going, there's this prong. We, we know that this was not the first time that God, through his Spirit, spoke to Paul. We don't know from Scripture, but we know from what God is saying to him here. Paul, your life, you're kicking against where I am directing you to go. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan for you. And so I want to encourage you, God has a plan for your life in this city within the context that we're speaking about today. And you can approach it one of two ways, the easy way or the hard way, the comfortable way or the uncomfortable way. Can I just put a little disclaimer there? The comfortable way isn't comfortable. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> the not kicking against the goads way is Deeply uncomfortable for us, but incredibly rewarding. We were away for this weekend, we, or this, earlier this week with um, our region. We missed you guys there, Henny. Just a really great time, and it was next to the river. They've been there. And you know, we've got this, just this picture as I was thinking about this. There are two ways that I can approach this river. I can swim upstream or I can swim downstream. It's quite a fast-flowing river, the Volga River, at that point where we go for the camp. And... It's so much easier swimming downstream than swimming upstream. So much easier. And so the first word I want to hold before you this morning is it is hard for you to kick against the goats. I hope and I pray that most of us here are at a place of surrender where it's easier. We're swimming downstream in the purposes of God. It doesn't mean that there aren't rapids. It doesn't mean that sometimes we feel this river is carrying us away and we're busy drowning and it's tiring but it is completely different to swimming upstream. And so as we get into this journey on this road of discipleship, following Jesus, as Henny said so well, I'm not going to repeat that message, but I want to highlight this point. God has a plan for you in this city. And when you surrender to the place of embracing, can you imagine this for a moment? Just Let's go back to Paul quickly. Imagine if Paul never had this moment. But he goes through 60, 70 years of his life. And he gets to the end of his life. And he sits with his family and the people that he loves. And he says, I'm sort of coming to the end. I don't know if anyone's ever going to remember me. I think I might have missed God's purposes for my life. I think that would be a lot sadder than him coming to a place of surrender. 
and saying, I'm not going to kick against the goats. I'm going to go with the goats, if you can use that analogy a little bit. I'm going to go with God's purpose for my life. And so this morning, I want us to, to zoom in a little bit. I've only got one passage prepared for us. Oh, look at the time already. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 29. And then we're going to pray with some people. What's happened here is the king, his name is Hezekiah. He's 25 years old. He becomes king of the nation of Israel. Before this, his father and his father's father and his father's father's father and his father and his father did not follow God. They were an ungodly nation at this stage. So much so that the temple has become the local storeroom. You know, we all have that space in our house. That space where... I don't know where to put this. I'm going to put this there. It probably should be used, that venue, that space for something else, but it's become the storeroom, especially if you've been there for a couple of years. And then every few years, you kind of go in there and you clean out all the junk, and then before you see it again, it's back in there. The temple has become that place in the nation. They've stored all of the rubbish in there. They've even stored some idols in there that they got from other nations. They've put this into the temple. And Hezekiah becomes king, 25 years old. And Scripture says, in the first month of the first year, in other words, the very first thing that Hezekiah does is he sorts the situation out. He says, we are going to return as a nation to worshiping the living God. And he brings the priests all together. And obviously, I don't know what the priests were doing. I would love to know what the priests had been doing because they weren't, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing because temple worship hasn't been happening. It can't happen because the temple is a storehouse, not like a healthy storehouse. It's a storeroom. Everything that doesn't have a space is gathering dust in the temple. So Hezekiah calls them together. And I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he says this verse to them, Second Chronicles 29, verse 11. He says, My sons... Do not neglect your duties any longer. This is the New Living Translation version. The Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to Him. And I want us just for a moment just to, to press into this passage in our lives. I honestly believe that as we, we step out of COVID, I don't know kind of if you guys have sort of breached that threshold. I think most of us probably have where in our minds COVID, COVID is a thing that was. It's not a thing that is anymore. We know medically they tell us it's kind of going to be with us forever, like the flu is with us forever, etc. But in terms of lockdown and a pandemic and all of that, I think most of us have moved beyond that. You know, before COVID, we had, you know, BC, before COVID, we had FOMO. Fear of missing out. And then COVID and lockdown and that whole process came. And then for a long time, many of us sat with FOGO, fear of going out. It became so much more comfortable for, to sit on the couch, to just be at home, to just be in a safe type of environment. And there's a time and space for that. I really don't have time to get into this too much, but I just want to for a moment think of Noah. Noah, who's a 500-year-old man, and God appears to him and says, build a boat. He's like, what's a boat? He spends 100 years building this boat. 
That's a long time. You can build a nice boat in a hundred years. Six hundred years old, he gets on the boat. He's on the boat for a year with his family and a whole bunch of animals. Don't know why we always focus on the two by two. You know why Moses Achnoah didn't take them four by four? Because four by fours didn't exist yet. Okay, so, but he takes them two by two of all of the unclean animals. Yes, I'm getting points here with Henny. And seven by seven for all of the clean animals. So there's a whole bunch of animals on this boat. Anyway, they're on this boat for a year. After a year, Noah gets off. You know what challenged me as I was reading that at the beginning of the year? Here is a 601-year-old man who has to restart his life from scratch. Everything, you know, for 600 years, you can build a pretty decent man cave. His home was the way he wanted it. His driveway, you should have seen the roses in his driveway. His vineyard was just perfect. He'd spent 600 years getting it the way he wants it. And then as a 601-year-old man, he takes a step off a boat, and nothing that he has built is there anymore. And he restarts his life as an old man. I was challenged and encouraged by that. That as we step out from this place of COVID, this place of self-protection, of self-preservation that we were in, some of us, we've had to rebuild things that were lost in the COVID period. Businesses and family relationships and ministry. And so we can carry on and God's grace is with you to step out again like it was with Noah. He says to Noah what he only said to Adam before that. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. My grace is the implication, is with you to fulfill my purposes. And so as we step out of that place of self-protection, of self-preservation, of looking after ourselves for a year and a half or two years or whatever it was, I think most of the world, we've stepped beyond that. Let's have the boldness to step out. And as we step out, I believe God is wanting to say to you, my sons, my daughters, don't neglect your duties any longer. You know what the opposite of negligence is? It's diligence. It's hard work. It's pressing in. It's there are certain things that God has called you to do, and I want you to hear this from the context of we're swimming downstream and not upstream. I'm not saying fight against the purposes of God, but tap into the flow of the river of God, that mission that He has a church for. When we get onto that page and we understand God has a plan with this city. I'm not going to kick against the goads. God has chosen me. Perhaps you are here and you know you're fighting against God's purpose for your life. Step one is to surrender to His purpose for your life. Not only talking about salvation, I'm talking about purpose, about swimming upstream or downstream. Kicking against the goads or going with the direction that the cattle master is pushing you in. He says, do not neglect your duties any longer. I know as I looked over my COVID period, there were some things that I'd begun to neglect during that time. And God comes here. I don't hear within this as Hezekiah being angry with the priests. But he's saying, guys, it's time to step up. It's time to step up. 
We've been neglecting our duties. Let's not neglect them any longer. Maybe you're here and you've been diligent and pressing on and pressing into the purposes of God throughout your life, throughout the last four years. Well done. I genuinely mean that. Well done. Do not grow weary with doing good because in due season you will reap your reward. But perhaps there are a few of us here that if we're honest, we've been a little bit negligent. Not about mowing the lawn and doing the odd things, but about what God's called us to do. We know there are things that God has spoken to us, things that God has revealed to us. Paul, in that text I spoke about earlier, he speaks about the heavenly vision. There's an instruction, a picture, there's something that God has stirred in your heart that He knows He's spoken to you about, and you've been a little bit negligent. This morning, I want to encourage you and say, it's time to step up. It's time to re-engage, to embrace with what God has called you for, to step into it, to walk into it. Do not neglect your duties any longer. Do you know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch? You all know it, do Absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> My sons, don't neglect your duties any longer. Why not? The Lord has chosen you. Can we just stop there for a moment? Not your friend has chosen you or your pastor, Henny, has chosen you. Not the people around you have chosen you. Can I break this into a little bit corporate? Can we just for a moment just transition out of the dichotomy that we sometimes have, like church space and workspace? It's the same space. Out of our works, our church here, church, yes, I'm chosen here, but in your workplace, God has chosen you. In your family, God has chosen you. In your social circles, God has chosen you. It's not just that you have been chosen. That's really important. It's God has chosen. You know, it's one thing if your CEO chooses you, identifies you, puts a label on you, fast tracks you, identifies you, calls you in, invests into you because He's chosen you for a specific task or for a specific job. It's a different thing when I go to work and maybe my boss has or hasn't also chosen me, but I arrive here, God has chosen me. I'm not expecting normality in my workplace because God has chosen me and He's not a normal God. Quick testimony, I'm stepping back into the role of student pastor. I love it. Young people, how many here are 25 years old or younger? Anybody here? Amazing. I love it. It's a good percentage within the church. God wants to use you there where you're at. I love the energy of young people. And I'm sort of fully invested back into that again on campus. And just about to arrive on campus. I've been out of campus for a couple of years, had some other people on staff with us taking care of our, our university campus stuff. Step back onto campus. Long story short, the university sends a letter to the churches saying we are formally ending our relationship with the church body. The body of churches, about 35 different churches that work together on campus. This is my first introduction back to campus. I've got a meeting set up with the people who wrote that letter the next week, because I used to work closely with them. I know them well. We've got good relationship. I'm sort of setting up the meetings, first meetings with all of the churches, go to the churches, they read out this letter. I'm like, well, that sucks. 
The next week, I've got a meeting with the people who wrote that letter. I leave that meeting with an invitation to come and speak to all of the heads of residences. I leave that meeting with an invitation to come and speak to the staff of the university residence community. It's about 10,000 roughly students that are in formal university accommodation, plus about another 12,000 that are in affiliated accommodation. I want to come and speak to their staff. I leave that meeting with names of other people who are now in senior positions at the university who I should go and speak to as a church leader. I walk into some of those meetings, the one meeting specifically, the head of student development at the university, newly appointed. I walk in there. I'm from the church, being diplomatic at the start, being nice. And she's like, no, these students need to meet Jesus. We need to find ways to get the gospel to these students. You know what I realized in that moment? God has chosen me. He hasn't chosen me to the detriment of anyone else. That's not the point. But when I step onto that campus, I don't just step there as a normal person. I don't just step there as somebody who's got a nice idea in my heart. I step, I love now going to campus. I've got myself a little motorbike. I'm riding to campus because anyone who's worked on university campus knows parking doesn't happen on university campuses. The great thing about a motorbike is where am I going? Because that's where I'm parking. Okay. And so I go there, but I love this thing that stirs in my heart. Time after time, I really could keep you way over time just telling you stories over the last month or two, how God has opened doors on campus because God has chosen. What if we went to our workplace tomorrow morning, something in our heart saying, God, I'm expecting you to do what's not meant to happen here because you have chosen and God, if you have, to, if my boss has chosen me and a little bit of tricky time, what do I do? I phone the boss. I phone the head of the department. I phone the person who's responsible. Well, here's a great parallel. If God has chosen you, who do you appeal to? God, this was happening at this company is not what it's meant to be, but God, I know you have chosen. So let's sort this out. Jesus, came and do what only you can do because I can't do it. I can't turn this, I can't fix this, I can't change this, but Jesus, you can and you have chosen. So I'm going as the chosen of the Lord for this city. My sons, the Lord has chosen you. The Lord has chosen you. Some of us need to go and wrestle with that in our hearts a little bit and yield to the fact that God has chosen me because I'm kicking and fighting against the goads that God has chosen me. I want Him to choose somebody else. There's somebody better for this job. There's somebody stronger, somebody faster, somebody cleverer, somebody whatever. And God is, no, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing, no, God, you should choose, no, I'm choosing you. Didn't Moses do the same? God chooses Moses, and Moses' first response to God's call upon his life is an excuse. Let's not be Moses in that context. Let's say, thank you, Jesus. I don't get it. I would never have chosen me. Jesus, if you knew me like, you know, like I know me, he does, by the way, but Jesus, if you knew me like I know me, I would not have chosen me. But God, in your grace, you have decided to choose me. So let's go. Let's go.
God has chosen you, and He's chosen you for four specific things, and I'm just going to mention them briefly, and then we're going to pray for one another this morning. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. See, the very first thing God has chosen you is to be in relationship with Him, to come to Him. Scripture says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. And this is the first place. Henny alluded to it earlier. This is the first place that the lie of the enemy is going to come into your life to say that you cannot come into God's presence. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. Own that. Step into that every morning when you wake up. Say, God has chosen me to stand in His presence. I'm worthy because He has chosen me. Not because of me, because He has chosen me. Obviously, the grace of Christ, what Jesus has done, made all of that possible. And He has graded the gospel. and You guys will be able to bring the gospel into what makes all of this possible. But Jesus makes it possible. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. Don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what you're worried about, what you're excited about, what you're dreaming about, what you're fearing. But all of that, the first place, is in His presence. God's called you to stand. There's another thing that's mentioned there. We live in a world that wants us to fall for everything and stand for nothing. God has called you to stand. The Apostle Paul, we spoke about him earlier. He writes in Ephesians, he says, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then just a little bit later, stand. Learn to stand, but from the presence of God into the world where He sends us. We always go to the battleground from holy ground. So we first come to holy ground. Once we've been on holy ground, we go to battleground. Where do we learn to stand? We learn to stand in His presence. Once we know how to stand in His presence, we can stand in anyone else's presence. We don't have to bend for anyone, bow to anyone else. God has called you to stand. He says, my sons, God has chosen you to stand in His presence. You are welcome in the courts of Jesus. Always. Then secondly, to minister to Him. This, in the Old Testament, was the domain of the priests. The priests would be those who ministered to God. Ministry to God is different. We'll see in a moment. I'll read the ESV. It gives a little bit more clarity about this than ministry for God. Ministry to God, God is the focus. Maybe a little bit like our worship this morning. Our worship this morning, I promise you, my worship this morning was not for any of you. If it was, you would have left. But Scripture fortunately says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I can do that. I like making a joke and saying, I've got an apostolic voice. When I start singing, people go into the nations. Okay. <laughs> but the priests, you, have been called to minister to God. That would be, in a practical, modern-day sense, many things that would be, mean being in God's presence. Scripture says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you ever meditated on that a little bit? How do I, as this puny, carnal human being on this small little planet, this little speck in the entire universe, how do I bless God? 
What do I do that makes God smile? And that's ministering to God. And that's very personal. In the Old Testament, there were spiritual elements to it, but there were some very practical elements to it. They would take care of the offerings. We'll look at that in a moment. They would do the slaughtering, and they would clean the temple, and they would um, make sure that the candles were always burning. And, you know, those of us, ESCOM helps us with this. We understand candles. Candles burn out. We have to replace the candles and the showbread, which would be replaced every day. That would be the work, the domain of the priests. I believe in a New Testament context that speaks a little bit about serving in His house. God's called you to serve in His house. He's called you to stand in His presence, and He's called you to serve and minister to Him in His house. And then the ESV says it this way, My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers. In the New Living Translation there, it says to minister to Him and to lead the people in worship. Gives a little bit of a different slant on it. But the idea here is now we are not only ministering to God, now we are ministering to people on behalf of God. Big difference between the two. Equally important. You've been called to that. God has chosen you to stand in His presence. God has chosen you to be His minister in this city. God has chosen you to minister, sorry, to minister to Him and to be His minister. The New Living Translation says to lead people in worship. Not just in song, but in worship, in lives of worship, in a demonstration of worship. This is what worship looks like. I'm going to lead you in that, in this city, because God has chosen me. God has chosen you. And last one, to present offerings to Him. The literal wording that's used there would be to burn incense. To take that which is valuable and pleasant smelling and to burn it up to God. So to bring offerings. In one of these messages, it was interesting for me, you know, church in the Christian in the city starts with giving in Johannesburg. Can we just... I believe in the idea of redemptive purpose. We are needing to pray for you. don't want to get too much time, but you know why Johannesburg was founded? We all do. Because of gold. Jesus says He counsels us to buy gold from Him. And so step one is let's trust God for gold that's refined in the fire of His Spirit. That's part of what God wants the city to be about, is people who understand gold, spiritual gold, and are able to take that and export that to the nations, but also physical gold. Imagine if the wealth of Johannesburg was made available for the preaching of the gospel to the nations. Imagine if all the gold, figuratively and speaking, hidden in the ground here, was channeled towards saying, we're going to make the gospel available to every person on the planet, in every nation, in every generation. That's part of what God's called you to in the city, is to present offerings to Him. To burn incense speaks about prayer as well. God has called us to be people of prayer, praying for our city, because God has chosen us for the city. You are in the city because God has chosen you for the city. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.